So Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 again says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So our first week, we explored what it means to uh, relate to Jesus as our wonderful counselor. Last week, we explored uh, realizing afresh the mightiness, the awesome power of God. And today, we zero in on this third title here given to Jesus, Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. You know, a core aspect of our faith as, as followers of Jesus is the idea of God as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's what's known as the Trinity. You know, throughout the Bible, there are numerous references that describe the essential unity between the three members of the Trinity, but also their distinctiveness. And within Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, there's something of this Trinitarian language that's included. The Son being spoken about prophetically is Jesus. Yet he is here given names that also call to mind the Father and the Spirit also. There's almost something of a blending, if you like, of Trinitarian terms, which has the potential to be a little bit confusing. Because like, if Jesus is the Son, why is he also here called everlasting father. It's that kind of thing. And if Jesus is the wonderful counselor, how is it that elsewhere in scripture we hear Jesus himself talking about the Holy Spirit being our counselor? How do we kind of piece all that together? But to me, that all points more than anything else to the wonder of the incarnation of Jesus, the son of God, as God's redemptive plan for all of humanity. Jesus came as God in the flesh to save, heal, restore and redeem. It calls to mind for me the, the angel's declaration to the shepherds in the Christmas story. The shepherds were out minding their sheep, minding their own business, and then one night this angelic host appeared to them with this incredible message saying, today in the town of David a saviour has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And, you know, we read that the shepherds were astounded at those words from the angels. And what was incredible about those words was that the angels were declaring that the Savior who had just been born in that manger was not the Lord's Christ, i.e. an anointed individual sent by God to redeem humanity. He is Christ the Lord. It was God himself stepping into creation, stepping into human history to do what needed to be done to restore and redeem his creation. And so as we explore today this term everlasting father, it's pointing us towards certain aspects of Jesus' person and nature. But it's not suggesting that we're equating the son completely with the father so as to do away with the Trinity and kind of leave us with a binary God instead. It's not about that. Theologically, the Son and the Father are one, but the Son is not the Father. But the term Father is being here used more as a point of analogy. The term everlasting Father, it points to Jesus as the spiritual Father of the entire Christian movement all around the world. He started it all by pouring his life into a ragtag bunch of nobodies, fishermen and tax collectors. 
And then after his death and resurrection, he filled them with his spirit and he sent them out to raise up spiritual sons and daughters of their own. See, it has always been God's heart to see his kingdom advance via multiplication as successive spiritual generations share the good news of Jesus Christ and participate in raising up disciples who can then go on to likewise pass on the baton of faith. But it all started with Jesus. The whole Christian movement flowed from him. So we look back to him as the one who started it all. He is the ultimate father of our faith. The life of God has flown through thousands of years down to us and we now have the privilege and the responsibility of sharing that same life of Jesus by his spirit with others you know in the New Testament the apostle Paul one of the great leaders in the early church he wrote these words in 2nd Timothy 2 and verse 2 he wrote to Timothy who was a young man that he was discipling and Paul said Timothy the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses Entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And you know what I really love about that one little verse is that there are four spiritual generations mentioned there. There's Paul, who's passed on the baton of faith to Timothy and other witnesses, who are then called to pass it on to other reliable people with the expectation that they would then go and pass it on to others. So you could kind of map that out as a bit of a family tree. Four generations of faith. See, the implication for us is that the work that Jesus, the Son of God, that Jesus, our everlasting Father, began in his own life, person, and ministry, that same work is continuing today. And every single one of us have the privilege of joining him in that ongoing work. The truth is that we are all where we are at today because of, well, primarily the grace and the mercy of God. But also because someone, or in all likelihood a number of different people, committed themselves to sharing with us, doing life with us, doing the work of discipleship, so that we would be able to grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. The heart of Jesus, our everlasting Father, still burns with a hunger to see more generations added into the family of faith. As this year draws to a close and we stand on the brink of 2022, can I remind you in Jesus' name that we are all called to be a part of something of great significance, the advancement of God's kingdom through a Holy Spirit-empowered multiplication. We're here to help people know God, to find freedom, to discover purpose, and make a difference. We are here not just to have a nice time ourselves. We are here to raise up Bible-based, faith-filled disciples of Jesus who would make a difference for him wherever we go. So when we read of Jesus, our everlasting Father, it reminds us that we are a part of a family tree that is still growing. So do not uh, belittle the significance of the time that you take ever to invest into someone else, to encourage them in their journey, to share something of Jesus, maybe for the very first time, because you never know how they, that might just be the beginning of a new branch on the family tree of faith. But you know, also when we read of, of Jesus, given this term, everlasting father, 
it begins to reveal Jesus to us in very, very personal terms. You know, of course, all of us, we have had a physical father. And so when we begin to read of of Jesus as our everlasting father, that term father will very quickly and naturally draw up for us images and memories and emotions connected to our own experience with our earthly father. And you know, maybe for you, dad was amazing and your relationship with your dad was fantastic and you've got great memories. If that's the case for you, be thankful. But I know that the reality is that for many Not all of us have those kind of memories. But whenever we think about our father, be it good or not good at all, what we all can do in potential is that we can transfer our own understanding of what a father is based on our own experience. And we can transfer that onto Jesus as our everlasting father. And we can conclude that because this is what my earthly father was like, When scripture talks about Jesus as my everlasting father, that's maybe what it must mean. There's danger in that because maybe for you, your earthly father was somehow just never satisfied or never happy, never seemed happy with who you were or what you did. Maybe you never heard much of the words, I love you or I'm proud of you from your dad. And naturally, when that's our experience, we, we, we crave that. We crave that affirmation. We crave that acknowledgement from our dads. And when it's not readily given, what we can easily end up doing is trying to perform or trying to succeed or achieve to try and earn that sense of love or acceptance or validation. Sadly, what can happen at times is that if that's our experience of our earthly father, we can then transfer that onto God and go, well, I feel like I've now got to earn God's love. I've got to succeed or achieve in order to receive God's love and know that he is my father. Maybe for you, your earthly father was an angry father. Maybe when dad was at home, it was like walking around on eggshells. There's a danger, obviously, in transferring that knowledge over to our heavenly Father. If that's been your journey in some way, shape, or form, I want to encourage you and and challenge you this morning. Let's not just view Jesus, our everlasting Father, through the lens of what our own experience has been. Let us allow Scripture to reveal to us afresh who He is and some of the core elements of his character as we seek him. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would just be opening opening all of our eyes afresh to see him as he truly is. You know, one aspect that I love in Scripture is that it describes our everlasting Father as compassionate. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, and I love this, it's such a simple scripture, but it's so powerful. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. Wow. One of the most liberating moments that we can ever experience in life is when we come to the realization that there is nothing that we can do to try, that could ever earn more of God's love our achievements and our successes, our certificates if we graduate, hallelujah, those are great things, but they don't result in God loving you any more than he already does. 
And the flip side is so powerful as well. Our mistakes, our failings, and our shortcomings don't jeopardize the love and the compassion that our everlasting Father has for us. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Maybe for some of you listening today, this, this whole Christian thing for you has, has been a pretty stressful exercise. It's been a lot of feeling like you've got to jump through hoops, feeling like you've got to do stuff in order to earn God's love, in order to have an assurance of God's love for you. There is nothing you can do to make him love you more or less than he already does. And can I remind you of these beautiful words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 this morning? Where Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest, just, just rest in his love this Christmas season. Stop trying to do everything right. Yes, live a life that glorifies God to the best of your ability, but stop trying to do stuff just because you're afraid that God doesn't accept you already. He does. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He is abounding in love for you. Through Jesus Christ, you are as accepted right now as you ever will be. You are as loved right now as you ever will be. And my prayer for you this Christmas season is that the Spirit of God would take the simplicity of that concept and make it so real and so fresh to every single one of our hearts. There is rest in knowing how compassionate our God is for us. So when we look at Jesus, our, our everlasting Father, through the lens of Scripture, we see that He's compassionate. Secondly, we see that He cares. Our everlasting Father cares. Hmm. If there's one thing that I kind of want you to get today, it's this, that Jesus is compassionate, that he cares for you, that his plans are for good and not for evil, that he's not angry with you. He's not, you know, begrudgingly dishing out a little portion of his love, kind of hoping that you'll shape up a little bit more. He just loves you. He is compassionate and he cares. Check out how Psalm 103 continues from verse 10. Now, this is amazing. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How amazing are those words? When we look at him through the lens of scripture, we see an everlasting father who is incredibly compassionate, who cares for us beyond what we can comprehend. And lastly, this morning, when we look at Jesus, we see that he's an everlasting father who's always there, who's always here with us. Always. It doesn't matter if you never come to church again, and I 
probably as a pastor, get in trouble for saying things like that because we love church and we love gathering together. But you know what? If you never came to church again, if you never read your Bible again, if you never prayed again, if you got into a complete tailspin of a life that dishonors God and messed up everything, he's still going to be there. He's still going to be there. And this is such a powerful truth to grab a hold of. Again, check out Hebrews 13, verses 5 to 6 in the New Testament. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never is a pretty key word there. It would be different if it said, God has said, I won't leave you often. And only occasionally will I forsake you. No, no, never is definitive. It is cut and dry. It is black and white. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, this is Jesus speaking. And this is not just a word of opinion from a human being. This is our everlasting father wanting us all to realize this that he is always there and he will never walk away from you. There is comfort, there is confidence and there is strength that comes from knowing that our everlasting father is always with us, always present, always watching, always protecting, providing, guiding, present. You know, uh, I think I've shared uh, this memory with you guys before. When we were in Japan, in the first couple of months that we were there, we enrolled Niall at um, a swimming school over in Japan because he'd started swimming lessons here in New Zealand. We thought, well, you know, we want to kind of encourage that. So uh, we enrolled him in the swimming school. And the first day that we took Niall to the swimming school, they had their uniform of their little blue Speedos and their little red caps that they were all alike dressed in. But Niall stuck out like a sore thumb because he's the only white kid. And so... This is a, I love this photo. I managed to s- sneak this photo on my phone, even though there were signs up saying, please don't take photos. But I was like, man, because what you can't really see in this photo is that between where I was with my phone and where Niall was in the pool, there was a big wall there, and the window was there. So I could not physically be there with him. But what I witnessed is that Niall was there, and there's a bunch of sort of five-year-old Japanese kids there who the novelty of having a little white boy there with them was probably the first time they'd ever experienced that in their lives. And so this one particular lovely little Japanese boy was sitting by Niall, and he was just poking Niall on the arm, just kind of to want to, wanted to see if a white boy's arm kind of felt the same as a Japanese arm, I don't know. And, and Niall was really uncomfortable with this. I could tell, like, looking at him that he just really didn't like being the center of attention. And this one boy who was right next to Niall was getting a little bit bolder and started playing with his head and started pushing him a little bit. And, and Niall was getting more and more agitated. And then it was at this kind of moment where I snapped the picture where Niall, he turned around and he was looking for a few moments to see where, where I was. He, he was kind of a little bit uncertain, a little bit afraid maybe. And he turned around to look for where dad was. And I remember in that moment just locking eyes with him and, and just mouthing the words to him, I love you, and kind of smiling, trying to let him know that things were okay. And I was so proud of him because what he did, he just he turned around and he continued with that lesson. So it was such a hard situation for him to be in. He drew strength 
from just being able to turn around and look to dad in that moment. And it's a powerful picture that stood with me. And, you know, subsequently I've been in a whole lot of situations where I've felt freaked out, uncertain, afraid. And just that beautiful image of kind of going, God, I want to look to you in this moment. I want to intentionally remember that my everlasting father is present with me as I face this kid tapping me on the arm. You know, I'm feeling a little bit anxious about what's going on. Dad is there. And he has definitively said that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Whatever you are in the midst of right now that has that potential to unsettle or disturb you, can I encourage you to turn your eyes afresh upon Jesus. As the old hymn goes, look full in his wonderful face and all the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We have the privilege of knowing that he is present with us, whatever we go through. Nothing will separate you from his love. Look to him in the midst of your challenges and trials. Look into his face and see his love and his mercy afresh. Let that love just reassure your heart and wash over you that because dad is present, help is at hand. He is for you. He is with you. He is compassionate, he cares, he is always there, right with you. I don't know about you, but when I think about such wonderful, simple truths as these, they make me just want to surrender my life afresh to Jesus. And so I encourage you as we come into this Christmas season to just stand afresh in wonder before Jesus, our wonderful counsellor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father. There is nothing that can ever divide Him from you. Nothing you can do to earn more of His love, more of His presence, more of His goodness. He is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love for you, for you, for you.